Welcome to Navigating Change, everyone, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright. That's Howard Tybal. That's Pete Wright. The, the thinker. No, no, you've you're been, the thinker. You've been I'm thinking. I'm the doer. No, no, I can tell. You've been, you've been, you've been ruminating. We're talking about the, uh, this is what we're talking about today. And I, I had to actually write you and say, I have no idea what you're talking about when you, when you give me this topic. The topic is the so. hybrid approach to organizational change. The hybrid what, approach to is that what you said? I have that's no what, idea what we're talking about. <laughs> is that really the topic? That's what you wrote. That's, that's I know. I'm just teasing you. I want to just you can't make Pete sweat. That's really no. <laughs> I can't do anything to make him sweat. I'm watching water off like, the duck's back, my friend. I what, hey, this is, all right. Let's talk about the hybrid. This is your approach. show. This is I'm sure why people show up. Yeah, I'm sure. All right. So so here's the hybrid approach. Yes. Uh, hybrid is this idea that you know there's there's one way to do it. Second way of doing it, and the hybrid approach is finding a way of doing it where maybe you take the best of both, right? Okay. That's that's often what I think when I, when I use the word hybrid, it's it's not necessarily a third. It's like looking at the first one, what's good about, looking at the second, and finding the best of those both. And so, so what it, are those it, two? What are the two things you're picking from? The two models you're choosing from? Being an expert versus uh, being a guide. Okay. Okay, so that's one way of framing this conversation. Okay. So, so, so who should be listening carefully to this? Are all of my clients and even consultants who are who are you know I've been doing this for for enough years that I think a very important distinction that we need to to uh, talk about is the difference actually as it relates to really leaving a client in a better position. See, what's more important, showing how much we know or having the client be better off? And I think historically, there has been a lot of consulting, lots of consulting that's been about showing how much we know, uh, how much we, here's the fundamental difference. Uh, As a consultant, one way of holding it is I know something you don't and you need me. You can't do it without me uh, because I have something that, I'm, that, that when I reveal to you will be your answer and then you can just follow my solution and, and that is a very narrow and I think very often incomplete solution in, in, in a consultant's role. That's and the, it the happens consulting, a lot. Consulting as product. Right, it, consulting that, is product. The value a, is my right. my smarts and my years of work. There has to be a dollar sign associated with that, such that yeah. I can feed my family as a consultant. But this is the uh, once you you know teach a man to fish. Yeah, but, but so let me make a distinction here for anybody in there that works for a consulting firm and what their focus is audit. Right, they're a consulting firm that makes millions of dollars around audit practice. Right, right. and I consider consultants. Well, there are some expertise, there are some disciplines that demand an expertise, and you have it, or the, I have it, the client doesn't, I bring that, and you give me an answer. I'm talking about organizational consulting. Right. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about being a surgeon to like cut something out and then you're fixed. And there's a place for that. No, of course. I'm talking yeah. about, but I think it's subtle because I think, still think there's a lot – there's a tendency 
And that, and I think there's – I could even see it in myself that the longer I do it, the more I could be thinking I have something that my clients don't have and that's just not true. And and the dilemma is – and this gets back to the Edgar Schein philosophy of process consultation. That concept that's been around for, for 40, 50 years, brilliant concept, is that – Really what we have, when we're doing our best work, we are paying attention closely to where our clients are and what they need. And we're giving them what they need when they need it. And we are not giving them solutions prematurely. And that we are really listening carefully to what, what it means to leave them in a better position. And, it's, and, and the danger of not having this point of view, and I've seen this happen, is I've taken on projects where I think the the the, the institution or, or the person thinks going in that that my my recommendation or solution will allow them to check it off and they're done. When in fact, my solution is really about putting them in a better position to then take the thing forward. And a lot of consulting dies in the vine because, and I'm holding up right now, you know, a thick binder. Right, and it sits on the shelf. It's a brilliant idea, a brilliant piece of work. You get paid thousands of dollars for it, and then it sits on the shelf. And it sits on the shelf because there's no real link or thread between what's in that and implementing internally. That's when the consultants leave. Right now, I think a lot of good consulting. Go ahead. Well, you know, it's a, it's a, it it seems like maybe you're. This is what you're about to say, so forgive me. But it seems like what, what you're saying is the product, rather than having this product be this binder that you've created uh, for as a product or for a client, that that the real product is the uh, the service of institutional learning right it's it's not necessarily teaching yes. you something you don't know but teaching you how to think about something you already know in a new way and that's right and 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 there are places where we bring so here's a good example more of our work is helping with for example benchmarking right so we're doing numbers of projects where an institution wants to benchmark their institutionals, for example, administrative structure against a peer institution. That data can be very helpful, right? It, it will inform, you know, where are they as an outlier liar in certain areas. That's different from them thinking that that in itself is going to solve the problem. That, that, that in many ways, the conversation... The best work we've ever done and we ever do is where the relationship is a partnership. I can think of a relationship right now where they really own the, the, the problem and the brainstorming and the solutions. And what we're doing is helping them in a guiding capacity. That partnership is rare because it demands that the people you're helping – recognize they have a role to play here. And uh, one of the things that I'm always looking for and increasingly looking for the longer I'm doing this is, do I have a partnership on the other side? Do I have, and our job, by the way, is to help with them taking ownership in the process. So the hybrid approach is recognizing we as consultants have expertise, but the value is not in our expertise. 
Now, we all know this, and I'm sure anyone listening is nodding their heads. In practice, that's really hard to do. Because when I open my mouth, if I'm speaking in front of uh, 200 people, and you see the pens come out when I say something, right? I'm standing here going, what I'm saying now is not important to write down. It's not going to help you. What's going to help you is is your ability to hear that and say, all right, what do I do about that? Now, I get it. People write it down because they thought it was an interesting tidbit. And, I, you know, in some ways we can get seduced by, uh, you know, having great insight. But that's not where the value lives. And it's it's an interesting dance. And I think we have to always keep our our, our, our feelers up, both the people we're helping and us as helpers, uh, whether or not we are focused on the right things. And in some sense, what we should be doing is going into a client engagement with this conversation. I can tell you, I, ver- I rarely do. I have this mindset, what I'm describing here, but I can see great value even doing it more, describing what a successful engagement looks like it, it, from a partnership standpoint. Well, and that, that doesn't happen enough. I, I, I would be interested in your thoughts on why that doesn't happen enough, because it seems like what you're describing, from what you are describing and from the, you know, the fact that the pencils come out when you say something particularly witty, uh, the, um, it, it seems like you have to do a lot more education because you may be an island in this approach with clients. By the way, not witty, intelligent. <laughs> when they when they write it down, it's not it's not it's not because that was funny. Because it was it was a it was a brilliant idea. Hmm. This is a big question. Which would you rather be known for on your headstone? You know what's really sad is that my comment was just witty. It wasn't intelligent. Exactly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's. Get, so, so, you were, so you were saying? No, I'm talking about. You know, this is important stuff. It's that. It's that. Uh, that client engagement. So you 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 use the word seduced, and that I I really love the word. I think that's yeah. that is seems to be really appropriate here. It's this idea that when you go in as a consultant to have a conversation about partnership, how easy it would be to be seduced by the fact that you are the expert in this scenario and what you're saying is that the training maybe you you you're not the expert and then you yes. know if i'm looking at, if i'm listening to this as an institution say i'm a board member or a president of an institution uh you know how would you like me to think about this framework of our relationship good so this is a perfect time to to describe we do three things right and you know this because you've been helping us for years with this we help with looking at organizational structure and making choices around that. We help with building team and having effective strategy conversations. And we help with looking institutionally at whether the programs and services you're offering are things you want to do more of, less of, and what are some of the big ideas. So so the, the nature of our work is we come in and we work with individuals, often leaders who then delegate it to their teams, to, to, to come up with uh, changes. And I can tell you that if it's a strategy team building, uh, these kinds of events, 90% of the time, are wonderful during. We walk away and everyone wants to hug because it was amazing. It's a Friday afternoon. They go home and on Monday, they forgot what happened on Friday. And by the following Friday, it's a memory, right? Why? Because we don't treat it like What's most important here is how are we going to acclimate it 
right? So that so that's for the kind of like group events. But even organizational restructuring, uh, we're in lots of different conversations around structure, and a very legitimate question to ask to, to ask us is, what do you see elsewhere, right? We're structured like this. What do you see elsewhere? And I could give an answer in some cases. Sometimes I don't have a good answer because we don't have a it's not a it's not a good comparison or it's not a peer institution. But I can tell you that the danger in giving that answer that we see the best practice, we're always asked, what's the best practice? You know, tell us the best practices, right? And I can tell you that 90% of the time when someone's asking me the question, they're the ones with the best practices because they're interested in improving. And the question for them is not what's what what the school or institution next door is doing that happens to be something that we've observed that is not necessarily a pretty high bar, right? So the best practice we see out here is X, Y. I got to tell you something. There's a lot of making stuff up when we talk about best practices. There's a lot because best practices is really uh, the thing that's that stands out, but it doesn't necessarily point to that it's effective. You know, what's the best practice for procurement? Well, I can demonstrate something that maybe this institution is doing that you're not doing, but is that really the next practice you should be doing? I I think the much better term uh, from best practices, what are the next practices? You know, and that's tough because it's ambiguous. Well, that also speaks to transformational change. What we talked about last time, that to not focus on just being slightly better than the institution next door, I'm not sure if that's a a high high enough aspiration, right? So the reason I brought up best practices in this conversation is I think leaders look to consultants to guide them to come up with what they should be doing in comparison to – other institutions that might be like them. And what I'm telling you is that although that data might be useful, it is not going to solve your problem. And your institution is significantly different. It's a different culture. You've got different constraints in, in terms of people. And and thinking that you're going to do something differently from the other institution from a best practice standpoint or slightly different or, or imitate them, that's not going to get you to where you want to get to. This gets to so that, that – well, I mean there's this expectation that your experience or your expertise is cached in one of two, uh, one of two areas, either what I as the consultant know or what I as the consultant have seen, what I know yes. versus what I've seen. And yeah. while, yes, there is ex- expertise that lies somewhere between the two, you know, so much of the value of the consultant relationship is, as you described – bringing what you have borne witness to to other institutions to to help at least illuminate that there are other institutions doing things in a different way. And I'm not saying that that's what to aspire to, but that's what it seems to me as a client is the perceived value, right? And what I hear you saying is that perhaps reframing that discussion from a client perspective is what are you really looking for in a consultant is to to really reframe institutional learning uh, in a way that allows right. us to do what we do even better. I'm a firm believer that you, for the most part, you, individual, department, division, institution, can solve your own problems. 
Now, you need data. You might need guidance. But fundamentally, you can solve your own problem. I think that's what they want to hear. I think that's what they need to hear. And I think it's too often the case that we don't put enough energy and focus on. So how are you going to, with the information you have, how are you going to take that forward? And I think there's too much emphasis on we don't have enough data, right? In some ways, it's a procrastination conversation. We need more data. What's enough data, right? I, I, I can tell you that um, you know schools have institutional research divisions that can get so much data uh, or, or can get the right data for them. But, the, but all you really have to do is saying, what is the problem we're trying to solve? Therefore, what data do we need for that? And then the, the elephant in the room conversation is around decision making. That's, that's 90%, in my opinion, about where the brakes get put on. It's around decision making. Is that the institutions are fundamentally not prepared to make tough decisions in a timely way, Right. And right. that's a, in some ways, that's a whole other conversation. Well, I feel Our like you know, this ties is, so well into this conversation about uh, you know leader, making difficult decisions. It's, uh, we talked about several weeks ago from a, a senior leadership perspective, right? This yes. right here is where strong leadership sh- shines. That's right. And, and, and our role as consultants, I think, for the most part, should be focused on where are you stuck – what do you need and where are you stuck and how can we help unstick you but not do it for you? And the dilemma sometimes is the, 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 the people that we're assisting or helping uh, inadvertently think that we have something that they don't have. When in fact my message of 28 years is I can help you help yourself. That is fundamentally – and to me it's, it's, it's the right way to do this. Because I'm going to walk away. You have to live with it. I cannot. So there is a certain I, – I, and, and here's, here's what I think is going on too, Pete. There's so much more of these kinds of projects happening where it's not just we want to put in a new system. The system is just the system. There's the cultural piece of it. There's how the institution reacts. There's, the, there's do we have the right people doing the task? Those kinds of conversations demand – having tough conversations internally. And there are more of those kinds of projects out there than ever before. It used to be the case you could you know, be very sort of siloed and here's a project, we want to put this thing in, thank you very much, we're done. That's not how things work. And it's, it's becoming more and more, and I think that's why uh, people are struggling so much is because there are so many different choices. It's, it's, you know, it's almost like we're developing an increasing list of things we want to do and we're, it's, it's not even so much we're not taking the things off the list that should come off. We're not completing the things that we started. So we have partially completed tons of things that, that we don't navigate and get off of our list of saying, oh, we've got this uh, completed, right? You should, I mean, the last conversation we were in, we were with the cabinet, and they put up on the screen, we put up on the screen 25 major projects that they have in front of them. And again, it is an overwhelming uh, picture for people. They just they get immobilized in that. And in some ways, it's a slightly different conversation that we're having right now. 
what we can do when we're doing it well is we can help people focus on what they need to get done, what they can get done, and then be targeted in how we help. We can't be all things to all people. Uh, and, and I think that's the other that's the other piece of this that I that I've learned over the years. Um, we got to be smart about where we really can assist and then and then step back and see how it's acclimating and then offer assistance as they're as they're as they're struggling through it. You know, um, it, it's a it, it's such a valuable thing to talk about. I think it's a topic we there's a, a, a related topic we probably haven't addressed enough, which is this idea of organizational complexity that yeah. that is uh it, that is significant but so so much of what what i have learned from you is this idea of being aware of where you are stuck and how important that awareness is to you know achieving change right being very yes. clear that you are right now mired in the complexity of your organization you are right now mired in the abundance of great ideas you are mired right, right now in uh you know you, this you're mired in the way your leadership has not been able to make decisions like understanding what those problems are really are, are helpful in change so this is a, a hugely valuable conversation yeah it's great and and, and uh, probably anything that i that i Here's the other attitude. I've been doing it for 28 years, and I know I still I can still be getting better at this. This is the lifelong learning, you know, right. not getting this stuck into thinking that my job is to solve. I think our jobs in our work is to guide, right? And that's a tough thing to remind yourself about because if people say, "What do I need to do?" The tendency is really easy, you know, to be a fixer. I can fix your problem, right? right? You know what? I might be able to fix it, but it's going to be temporary because I'm going away. Right. So it's, oh. um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. I would love to have had this conversation with uh, Howard Teibel, say, 18 years ago and look wow. at him side by side. It would be a very different conversation. Yeah. A lot more hair, a lot less gray, <laughs> a lot more hair. The, the young Howard Teibel, I'm, yeah, I'm afraid to even say, what was the young Howard Teibel? Now, we, could, we could have such an interesting conversation about I'm just talking to someone about lessons that. Learned. Lessons well, you know, learned. You know, you, you, you hate it. You know, when you, you know, you know I, I hate when this happens. You know, yeah. I hate when you're, you're holding your child when they were younger. This was years ago, a quick anecdote. And someone walks up to you and says, so how old is your grandson? Oh, <laughs> you hate that. I hate it when that happens. I hate when that happens. Oh. <laughs> With great respect to Billy Crystal. Uh, I think that was is Billy that where Crystal, that came right? from? Yeah. Oh, that, I, I that's hate right. it when that happens. I hate when that you happens. You know that when you eyeball exactly. forget it. Uh, <laughs> Howard, uh, as always, insightful, fantastic conversation. Thanks for your time and expertise. Uh, you can find us at tybalink.com where you can subscribe for free. You can read the, uh, the backlog of, or the, the archive of articles and, and uh, posts on the blog. Subscribe to the, to the show in iTunes or Stitcher Smart Radio. And, uh, and as always, you can, find us, uh, you can find us right here next week, Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybalink. <laughs>